Hey guys, on today's pod I brought on Matthew Stocko as usual, as well as joining us today was Anthony Doyle of Raptors Republic. Anthony's one of the best guys when it comes to talking Raptors and really has great insight on the team. We broke down basically every aspect of the DeMar DeRozan Kawhi Leonard trade, talked about where it leaves the Raptors moving forward, where their place is in the East, and also DeMar's legacy. I thought it was a really great talk. Hope you guys enjoy. great move for the Raptors. It was, uh, this was the player they've kind of been missing in the last couple playoff runs. Even with all the injury stuff, they didn't give up OG Ananobi. They didn't give up Pascal Siakam. They protected the one pick that they gave up at its, a 2019 pick. Masai Ujiri kind of hit all the boxes for not giving up too much long-term while also getting back the best player in the trade. And I, I think it was a, clearly a win for the Raptors. Yeah, I'm right with you. I was amazed that, to be frank, OG or Pascal wasn't in the deal. Me and Matt talked last week, and we talked about the Kawhi Leonard possibility, and I thought it was less than a 50-50 shot. And I said, you know, I thought that at least OG would be in it and maybe Pascal too. And the fact that he gave up neither of those is, to be honest, pretty amazing to me. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, and uh, it, it's funny because I was the one on uh, last week's podcast worried that they were going to give up too much. And, you know, I think I was I said that's the reason why I wouldn't do the trade. However, the result that we got was pretty outstanding. And uh, I mean, especially after having a chance to digest it, I definitely have to agree with both you, Anthony, and you, Mike, that, I mean, it's nothing but a win for the Raptors. And, uh, you know, there's been some drama and questioning around how it was handled on the DeMar DeRozan end. And, you know, that might've given, you know, the Raptors a little bit of less, less than swell PR than they maybe deserved. But um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that like, you know, now that we've had a chance to have it sink in that, wow, just the amount of the, the little amount that we had to give up was just outstanding. Right. And it feels, you know, we got the superstar in the deal. And usually when that happens, it feels like the team getting the superstar has to kind of give in around the margins. But when you look at kind of the little things of this trade, it's clear that Masai won every little thing when it comes down to the protections on the pick and even getting $5 million back. I think maybe that's where I was most shocked that Masai kind of won all the little things of this deal. Yeah, and uh, this is the kind of trade where, when I look at it, and when you take into account that they were going to be rebuilding in two years anyways because of the Serge Ibaka contract and Kyle Lowry contract and their ages, and then you add in that's DeMar DeRozan's opt-out year, that was kind of set in stone as t- the summer of 2020 was going to be a Raptors rebuild. 
So I came out of this trade thinking, even if Kawhi Leonard's health is way worse than we think, or he really doesn't want to play in Toronto, and he never plays a game in the Raptors jersey, this is still an okay trade because it dumped some, like, the, they, you took back less salary long-term than you said doubt, and you took a risk on a rebuild that was coming anyways. So, like, the only thing you really lose is maybe two competitive years, but when you look at the ages of the Raptors players, were they really going to be that competitive next year anyways? Right. I think you basically traded two years of DeMar for one year of Kawhi, and I think that's a trade that you make when you're kind of a team that's been stagnant and one step away. I think that's a trade you make every time. I think, like you said, if Kawhi walks after this year, I don't I don't necessarily or I don't think at all that the trade was a loss for Toronto. I think that they made this trade very well knowing that Kawhi might not resign, and I think they'll be okay with it if he doesn't. I think, I think too, that, you know, the upside, right, the potential, the potential upside of this is that he does stay and that then the future, and Anthony was kind of, and Anthony did a great job of explaining going towards the rebuild, right? Well, then maybe perhaps the rebuild, you know, was rethought and instead rebuilt around Kawhi Leonard, which I think is a great piece to be able to woo in future free agents or woo in uh, other top uh, role players who can really support this this team. And I think the other piece of the trade that I really liked is uh, for me with Nick Nurse as the coach, uh, I was a little concerned about how Pirtle was actually going to fit in with this team and how he was going to operate. And I think that, uh, you know, him not being on this roster anymore kind of, kind of helps out the team overall from, from a more total team makeup as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that as far as it's not Pirtle specifically. I just think needed more wings and less bigs. And I think that when you're swapping a big for a wing, even if you lose a little talent around the margins, I think that's a win as far as the Raptors are concerned. I think they might miss Pirtle a little bit just because they don't really have the pure centers and Ibaka doesn't want to bang full-time. And, you know, there's matchups where you can't play Jonas. And the way the roster currently sits, there's going to be some matchups that are a little bit weird because... Either you're playing Ibaka more minutes than he can, or you're putting Jonas in a situation where he's going to get exposed. And Pirtle fit nicely in that margin for the Raptors, but at the same time, he was easily the most expendable of the young guys, which I love Jakob Pirtle, but I think of the young group, he was the guy you could move without worrying about too much. And uh, I hope he does great in San Antonio. Yeah, me too. I think he will. I think... He kind of fits what they want to do in a lot of ways where he's, I don't, I don't think he has the ceiling to ever be, you know, a top 10 in his position, but I think he has the ability to be about a league average starter, which, you know, is nothing to take for granted. He's a pretty good player, but I think just overall, I think Serge, in my opinion, at least is more, is just as well suited to play center at this point in his career than he is power forward. So I was okay swapping out a center for a more wing who, is kind of, you know, more perimeter-oriented, which it sounds like Nick Nurse wants to play next season. This trade really was a win-win for both teams, because if you do take a look at it from the Spurs' perspective as well, DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl kind of do fit in with, really, with what Pop is trying to do and trying to build there, too, and just the way he coaches and the way he builds offenses. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, in terms of fair trades, like, like, like it really does work out. And, I, you know, I, I definitely agree with the 
Anthony on the bigs, like we could be a little small at times, but we've seen the Golden State Warriors win small. Um, so, I mean, it can happen. And uh, I love right now talking about uh, talking about what our potential death lineup could be. And and uh, it, it is exciting. We've definitely gotten a lot more three-point shooting, um, have improved drastically defensively, which is, I think, uh, something that I'm very excited for because uh, Danny Green is also an underrated defender as well. Danny Green's a fantastic player. I mean, he's he's not a star, but he's a, a veteran who's got championship experience. He's a great locker room guy by all accounts. Um, he rates out as one of the five, I, I think every year for the last six years, he rates out in the top five defensively among shooting guards. And he can shoot threes. And with the other guys the Raptors have around him, he won't have to do much more than that. The Raptors have... a a lot of point guards who can penetrate and distribute. Kawhi Leonard is way better than that than people remember. And so, and Jonas is a good passer who's going to have a lot more space than he's ever had before. So if Danny Green can work hard on the defensive end and knock down some open threes, that's all they need from him, as well as, you know, being a familiar face for Kawhi to help familiarize him and hopefully help keep him past this season. Right, yeah, I totally agree, I think. Danny Green is someone who can be really good for your team as long as, you know, you, you know what you're getting with Danny Green. He's a great defensive player. He's a good shooter at this point. He used to be, you know, a little bit more elite. He's regressed a little bit as he's gotten older here in shooting. But I think being surrounded by some more offensive talent than he has been the past couple of years, or at least last year particularly, I think that it could really be a change of scenery that's good for Danny Green. And, it will be interesting to see. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that he is our starting shooting guard come the season? I personally think that it's probably going to be him, Kawhi, OG is the three, and then Lowry and Valanciunas. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was going to say I definitely agree with you, Mike. I feel like that's the natural starting lineup, um, barring any other trades that might that might happen for another starter. However, that could. I mean, I don't know how Masai would pull that, but who knows? I mean, he's already pulled Magic once. But I just think that, you know, adding in two starters from a uh, NBA championship team are always good. And and it just really adds a lot of defense and a lot of spacing, especially with someone like Jonas on the floor, that I think that just that it just becomes natural that way, especially if you are trying to, you know, woo Kawhi to stay. Uh, again, that familiarity that Anthony was talking about, I think, is very important in this case. I... I think Serge Ibaka probably stays in the starting lineup because they, you know, he's somebody who they have to keep happy. They have to keep him in a role where he's comfortable. And he he's tends to stiffen up a little bit. So getting him out there to start early in the game can help loosen him up. But I, I think what you'll see happen is Serge Ibaka will start and then he'll come out of the game early, like four or five minutes into the first half. And then he'll come back with the bench guys to start the second as the bench center. And I think that way you aren't sort of giving him, you aren't saying to him, okay, we're taking away your starting role. You're still letting him have that, but you're using him as a bench guy. And then you can, towards the end of the first uh, quarter, you can have, you can run that lineup, the small lineup with Green and OG and Kawhi. Um, And I think OG probably comes off the bench. Okay, so you think it's, Green and Ibaka as the two starters then uh, surrounding Kawhi, Lowry, and Valanciunas. 
Yeah, that's what I suspect it's going to be at least to start the season. If Ibaka has a slow start to the season, that might change. But I, I really think OG is going to be the guy who ends up coming off the bench. Also because that gives the, that bench unit another big defender on the wing. And OG can fit in uh, with his length. He could to help be one of the, like, shift over to the four with some of the bench lineups. The only the only issue I see with that in regards is I we haven't seen OG really create his own offense to this point, and I wonder, perhaps that's kind of a step he needs to take in growth, but I wonder how he'll handle moving to a role that's perhaps a little more volume when he's never had to deal with that at this point in his career. That's fair, and it's going to be an interesting development. I think that's something the Raptors wanted him to do more this year anyways, because you want him to explore that part of his game. But also, you know, if he's coming off the bench, he's going to be playing with Fred and DeLon, and both of those guys are really good creators. And there will be a lot more space in the Raptors' offense this year because there's just so much more shooting than there was last year. Yeah, that's big. And I also think I'm writing about this currently, and I want to talk about I think that it wouldn't be shocking to me if Nurse tries a couple different permutations of the starting lineup throughout the year and kind of, throws a couple different things on the wall and kind of see what sticks. That's what I'm most excited for, to be honest, is that Nick Nurse has already spoken about how he's going to, you know, be more creative with lineups and try out different things and really experiment to see which what, what is best. And I feel like Nick Nurse is not one of those guys that's going to be afraid to change the lineup quickly if something doesn't happen. And uh, the hot, the more hockey rotations of uh, of the past are with the Raptors are more more or less gone. So I think for me, that's that's super exciting. And and I mean, when you have more shooters and more versatile players that can play a lot of different positions, uh, then you can really go with the hot hand or who's playing really well in game. And uh, it, with 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 systems built around that too, uh, then all the players will still be on the same page regardless of who's out there that was one of my biggest problems with Casey was I didn't love the bench mob mentality as far as swapping out the five just in the fact that once you come to the playoffs playoffs are all about matchups and they're about doing different things and playing different ways and when you play that two distinct styles during the regular season it really limits your ability in the playoffs to kind of mold and adapt your game to whatever fits best so, like you, Matt, I'm pretty excited for this year trying different things, you know, perhaps getting a big lineup where you see Kawhi at the two and things like that, or you have a super small lineup with Pascal at the five where you switch everything. You know, I think that it's important to try different things, and I'm excited, or at least I hope, to see that this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that I was getting so sick of, especially in the playoffs, being like, oh, it's around the four-minute mark of the first quarter. Here comes, you know, the, the whole different group of team, a whole different group, right? Like, I think that becomes so predictable, and and teams in the playoffs uh, last year really preyed on that. Well, a lot of the problem though last year for the Raptors was with that, and a lot of the reason you ended up with the two distinct lineups was because the transitional groups were a mess all year. You had so many pieces that fit with the lineup they were with, but didn't fit when you started to mix and match. Like you could play CJ miles and you could play DeMar DeRozan, but you couldn't play CJ miles with DeMar DeRozan because neither one of those guys is a guy who you want defending the best player on the other team. And neither one of them can play the, 
can really play the point guard or really play the power forward position. So you couldn't play those guys together. And we did that a lot in the playoffs and that got the Raptors in trouble. And the other one was Serge Ibaka and Jakob Pertl just really did not play well together. And that got, that got the Raptors in some trouble in the playoffs too. So I think Siakam at the five has been brought up a lot by a lot of people. I think that's a matchup thing. I don't think that's an every night thing because you give up a lot on in terms of rebounding and rim protection with that look. But I, the one that I think is a lot of people are talking about going small at the big positions. I think you're going to see the Raptors go small at the guard positions more often than that, because you have to remember Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry had a great year when they were on the floor together. And you're still going to see a lot of that. So that's going to come with those two and two wings and a big. A couple things. Uh, first off, you made a good point on last year. We didn't really have the fit to do it. We, we also had a lot of guys who played, you know, kind of traditional positions that were inflexible. So when you had Kawhi, who can really play the shooting guard or power forward in spots, you know, not obviously long-term, as well as Danny Green, who can play the two and the three, just kind of gives you more versatility. So not only, you know, you can put a lot of it on Casey, but a lot of it is the fit this year is better. And then your second point on Pascal, I totally agree. I think that they'll play Pascal in spots like that at the five, but I don't think that's a long-term thing, and I don't think you're going to get a steady diet of it. I think that's a once-in-a-while kind of try-to-inject-life kind of play. Yeah, I, I think you might still see the Raptors re-sign Bebe. They still have a, ro- a roster spot. He's still uh, unsigned. They have two, don't do they not? I think they have I, two. I, I yeah, they, they have, have two. Is it two or is it one and a two-way? They have 13 guys on the roster as of now. So okay. we have two spots left. Yeah, it's, I, I think bringing Bebe back makes a lot of sense. He can play that five in spots. He's a good rim protector. He was better last year than a lot of people think he was. Uh, and with Ibaka and Jonas both on the roster, I think you you could use him for the minutes they can't fill. I think one of the important things for the Raptors this year is cutting back Ibaka's minutes, because a lot of people said he had a bad year last year. I think there's that's an overreaction. I don't think he was so much bad last year as he was asked to do more than he should be asked to do at this point in his career. I, I think that's pretty fair. I think... He, I want to say, he certainly took a step back last season, but I don't think it's as exaggerated as people want to make it out to be, particularly after a playoffs where he did play poorly in the playoffs. He was fantastic in the first two games against Washington, though, to be fair. Yeah, he was. He was, he, he, he was so amazing and everybody was very excited and then it, it went down quick. It was, it was like watching an EKJ machine just go down and not come back up. <laughs> As we talk about Kawhi, obviously the biggest thing, Kawhi and Danny Green both, I guess, the biggest thing is defense. But what do you guys think offensively, besides the spacing that they add, what do you think is kind of the most, what part are you most excited to see? I think people are going to be shocked about how much Kawhi can do offensively. Because I actually think he's a better offensive player than DeMar DeRozan. He, 2016-17, the last year he was fully healthy, he ranked in the 89th percentile in the league in isolation. He was in the 93rd percentile as the pick-and-roll ball handler. You know, 
almost everywhere when you break down his shooting percentages, he was in like the 75th plus percentile at everything offensively. And so it's not just that he's a great shooter and a great defender. He can do everything. And that's why he was in the conversation for being the best player in the world before he got hurt. And I think people are going to be shocked because he's got that defensive reputation, but he could have stepped into DeMar's role offensively from last year, and he would have been really good at that. As well, I think they'll do other things with him because he creates space just by being on the floor because he's a great shooter. Yeah, I was actually watching a bunch of uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard highlights from from 2016-2017, and, you know, a lot of people have been, you know, have been saying, oh, he's not really good off the ball, and I don't, I just don't see that. I mean, I see tons of plays where he's fan- moving, moving off the ball, creating space for himself off the ball as well, and I think that, you know, with more, with, with the more spacing that the Raptors are just creating, are going to create in general, that we're going to see him being able to shoot, to, to shoot spot up threes, be able to create his own space. And if, and if a play does break down when it inevitably does, we have somebody who can, you know, ru- move off the pick and roll and do some fantastic things with it. You know, he really, he has a, he has a really good first step. Uh, coming coming off of screens, he also is very strong. So he's he's able to uh, uh, bang around and bang around inside in the paint as well. I think that um, uh, uh, he also has a really nice step back as well. So I think that you know Kawhi offensively is is going to draw so much attention as well. And 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 you know within w- within all the movement that's gonna that's gonna be happening with the team as well. I think he'll be I think he'll be uh, his assist totals might actually go up over. Uh, over the previous years, years as well, and I mean, I mean, here he, here's a guy again, best best player in the Eastern Conference, perhaps. Uh, I mean, if not top top two, and he, uh, depending on your opinions on Giannis, right? And here's a guy that's going to attract a lot of attention, and I could see his 3.5 assists from uh, 2016 2017 moving up to like six or seven, and uh, the Raptors are going to rely on him to do a lot, but. I think he can actually. I know he can handle the load. Well, I'm not sure he'll necessarily improve that much as a playmaker. I think that would be nice. Certainly, I'm not totally confident on that. What I do think is he doesn't require the ball as much. So there's maybe he doesn't increase his assist that total. But if you're not holding the ball and you're getting less assist and you're getting less assist, it's not you know as hurtful as it may otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm excited on offense is just. Uh, for Kyle Lowry kind of to not be the number one option anymore. Yeah, he had that with DeMar, but I think now when you have a player that draws as much gravity off the ball as Kawhi does, I think it will be exciting to see what Kyle Lowry can do in a different role. One wrinkle that that nobody's really talking about that I kind of want to see the Raptors mess around with is uh, Kawhi's such a, he's a big, strong body for a wing. I'd like to see the Raptors uh, try to run some... Lowry Kawhi pick and rolls with Kawhi as the role man because I think you could when you take what each of those players can do um you're gonna create space somewhere either they're gonna overcommit to Lowry because he can be so dangerous once he gets rolling into the lane or they're gonna overcommit to to Kawhi and there's gonna be space freed up somewhere when you run that and I think there's some stuff like that you could do this really interesting, and they did that a little bit with Demar. They expe- like Casey experimented a little bit with Demar setting some screens for Kyle, and it worked. But with Demar, you didn't have the pop threat that you do with Kawhi. Yeah, that's a good point, and you kind of see that with 
the Golden State Warriors, and an interesting thing they do out of it is they kind of run the inverse, where Curry sets a screen for Durant. I wouldn't mind to see a couple even Kawhi being the ball handler and that, and having Kyle Lowry pop is kind of just a change of pace, different look like the Warriors do all the time. Yeah, I, th- I think you'll see lots of different things done with this offense. Uh, I'm excited about Jonas Valanciunas offensively this year because him and DeMar kind of occupied a similar space offensively. Both of them love working in that five to 10 foot area where they can create their shots. And you're going to see a lot more Jonas with four guys out. Last season, Jonas only played 74 minutes all year without DeMar DeRozan on the floor. Wow. Um, Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he's going to have more space than he's ever had to work with. And you add to that the perimeter game that he's added himself to create space for other guys. There's just a lot to get excited about right now if you're a Raptors fan. To that point, I kind of was thinking about when you said you thought that Serge would get the early pull. If I'm Nurse, I think I am pulling up. Valentunas early, just on the fact that I think with Jakob gone, I think that you can do a lot of kind of individual work with Jonas. Sorry, Jonas, wow. Um, one-on-one kind of with the bench unit where you kind of let the offense run through him a little bit more. And if he's a primary option, I think that he can kind of be unleashed to another level. Oh, definitely. And I mean, Nick Nurse has already said too, right, that he plans to have much more exciting things to do with Jonas Valanciunas. And I, I mean, I'm excited, I'm excited too to see when teams start to feel threatened by, uh, Jonas passing the ball out, finding open shooters that when the, when, when the defenders play a little bit more to the wings to just see Jonas do what he's always done and do work and get easy buckets. Um, you know, Jonas had to fight for a lot of buckets, I think, in the past and, and just to, see him have a little bit more room to breathe. I think we could see Jonas hit another level in his game. Uh, that well, utilized and, by the Raptors, correct? Well, and also I think with Ibaka playing more minutes at the five, that means you're going to see a little more OG at the four. And that yeah. also should open it up for Jonas even more than previously. Yeah, well, yeah definitely. And, and one of the things OG is best at from last season is he's great at cutting off the ball and finding lanes to, you know, jump in there and get a pass and find an easy bucket when people are paying too much attention to other guys. And, again, the more space there is, the more opportunities he has to do that kind of thing. And, you know, with, with OG, I'm, I'm just excited that he gets to spend a year in the gym working alongside one of the best guys in the league one of the best guys in league history at sort of the archetype of player that he is. Yeah. He he should be able to learn lots. And from all accounts, both Kawhi and OG are gym rats. So them spending a year in the gym together should pay off for the Raptors as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I think if you looked at the absolute perfect outcome for OG and Anobi's career, it would be to follow Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, that's his who he should model his game after completely, I think. Besides backup plan, guys. Besides backup plan. <laughs> well, I, a lot of people still talk about Giannis in 2021 and whether he's coming. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I do think if they can hold on to Kawhi, that makes that more interesting for Giannis. And I know Giannis has the existing relationship with Masai. And 
I think if Kawhi stays, it opens up all sorts of doors for the Raptors going forward because having a superstar on the roster brings players in. Uh, you stole my point, Anthony, but yeah, I think that I, I think that makes it more of a possibility. Imagine Masai going, being able to sell Giannis, and he has his relationships with him, and says, "Hey, guess what? You also get to pair up with Kawhi Leonard and get to be a big, huge piece of, and, and you have another piece to work with because Giannis is another player who hasn't really ever had another uh, player better than him or on his level uh, to play alongside with, and I think a Giannis, uh, a Giannis Kawhi Leonard." team would be really, really dangerous. I mean, defensively, that team would be just absurd. I, Anthony's dog is obviously a big fan, so yes. that's a good <laughs> sign. Um, what do you guys think the reports of the Toronto Raptors kind of wanting to shed salary here, what do you think the move is there? If anything... I think the two most likely contracts to be moved are either Norman Powell or CJ Miles, or maybe both together if you can move them for a piece coming back. But there's so little salary cap space out there in the league at this point. And honestly, I think CJ is going to be an, an important player for the team this year because he can be another guy who can step in and bring some shooting when you might need it in certain lineups. So I honestly don't know if I want them to make another move. As much as I know they're, they're probably reluctant to pay the tax, I'd say just just ride it out for a year if that's palatable to ownership. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. Go ahead, Matt. No, I know. I was gonna say like I, I I definitely agree that that Norman Powell contract is probably the one that is the most movable. Again, uh, you know, Anthony hit it right on the head. There's not much salary out there, so who's gonna be taking on a Lowry or a Baca contract? Even though everybody wants to get out. From un- or at least all the fans want to get out from under that Ibaka contract, but that Ibaka contract could be used next year for a team looking to salary dump or or do something like that. So I feel like I, I feel like Ibaka is definitely on the team this year. Well, there's just not enough space to take back Ibaka. I think out there, I think yeah. if you're going to have anything, it's going to be a trade exception that somebody's going to have to want in. So if I think it's going to have to be Norman Powell, and I think you're going to have to attach an asset along with Norman Powell at this point. And I just don't know where the asset comes from. So it, it kind of gets tricky for me, but I guess that's why they pay Masai much more than they do me. Well, and with, there was that report out there in the San Diego Union Tribune today that Norman Powell's mom and Kawhi Leonard's mom are good friends. So I don't even know if I want them to trade Norman Norman Powell because he might help sell the case to keep Kawhi Leonard down the road. I think my biggest, I think the trade that makes most sense, and I, I don't want it to happen, but I could see a move where it happens to be Norman Powell and DeLon Wright. Just on DeLon Wright doesn't match up with that 2020 timeline, either just Norman Powell. So to me, I think if they do move on from a salary, and I hope they don't, obviously I hope they're willing to pay the tax, but I think if they do, I think that's the natural pairing to me. As somebody who also just hopes that they pay the tax, uh, I heard a hilarious caller on the Fan 590 suggest that that there that there's a trade Ibaka for Kevin Love straight up, and and I immediately went to the internet to see if there was any credence to that, which there wasn't. So I just had a good laugh that somebody thinks that the Cavaliers will just take Ibaka and give us Kevin Love back. No, I think Kevin Love would probably be gettable for the Raptors, but it would probably require yeah. them sending out Jonas Valanciunas, and I think. Love is by far a better player, 
but they already are so undersized in that front line, and Jonas is the one guy who can bang with bigger bodies there. You you kind of can't just send him out for a guy who doesn't replace what he does, or else you run the risk of getting exposed against a team that has a center who can really bang inside. Maybe a little off topic here, but do, don't you guys worry about kind of heading into the postseason with Jonas as the center heading against the Boston Celtics where you watched, you know, Joel Embiid was second place in defensive player of the year and he had to be hidden at times on Morris. Don't you guys kind of worry about JV next year if it comes down to an Eastern Conference final with the Celtics? I don't personally because I think uh, JV can create, he can create advantages in that series First of all, because he's got, uh, they don't really want Horford banging with Jonas for 25 minutes a night either. Horford's, you know, he's in his, he's into his thirties now. He's not a big guy and that takes a physical toll on him. So Jonas creates advantages. And if you run into trouble, you can, you know, put out surge at the five or Pascal at the five. And also the Raptors point of attack defense is going to be so much stronger this year with the crop of wings that they've got. And then you add in DeLon Wright and Fred and Lowry, who are all good defenders. You're just going to have less guys getting to the rim. And if you can defend well on the wings, it takes a lot of pressure off your center. Yeah, I, I just worry, I guess, in that pick and pop game with Horford. But you make a good point if the wing defense is strong enough on the end and he's not helping off as much, he can kind of stick to Horford a little bit better. And I mean, I think I th- also think about it too. Again, going back to banging up Horford, Horford, if the Ra- if the if the Raptors are taking advantage of matchups much better than they have in the past, then they will play a lot more through Jonas in those in those sort of matchup situations to hopefully get Horford into trouble, which would give the Raptors a big advantage in a series. Yeah, perhaps. You, I mean, you have to play as much against a really good team. You are going to give up advantages. That's just going to happen. So you can't worry too much about whether or not you're going to give those up because every good team has ways to create them. It's about creating more advantages than what you're giving up. And if you have to let Horford go off, Horford's not a guy who's going to score 50 on you every night. If you could keep Tatum under control and you can keep Hayward under control and Kyrie under control – you can probably live with Horford having some great nights. Yeah, it's yeah. just it to me it was tough to watch him kind of put Embiid in the blender like that, and I just as I watched it, I thought of what he would do to poor Jonas. <laughs> I, I think it's a like, I think it's a reasonable question. I I just think that matchup is still pretty good for the Raptors and they have enough ways to counter it that you, you kind of live with what you get. Let me ask you guys, do you think that the Raptors are the best team in the East right now? I do. Yeah, I, I, I tend to as well. I mean, they have the best, in my opinion, they have the best player in the conference and, uh, the he and the supporting cast that they're building around him is is really good. The Celtics are close, but I, I give the Raptors the edge as well. I think a lot of attention is being paid to the question of whether or not Kawhi is healthy, but the Celtics have those kind of questions too because yeah. it's it's not a lock that uh, you know Gordon Hayward's going to come back and be completely himself. I know he's had great looking videos out there of him working in an empty gym, but that. 
doesn't necessarily translate to on the court. And, you know, Kyrie Irving's also a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career. They're, the Celtics aren't a lock to get through the season healthy either. And if you assume both teams are healthy, which you either have to assume both teams have health issues or both teams are healthy. If you assume they're both healthy, I think the Raptors are better. I think for Hayward, at least, I think a lot of people are kind of calmed by the fact. I think leg breaks, actually, as gruesome as his leg break was, they're a little bit easier to come back from than those ACLs. If I'm the Celtics, I'm I'm most worried about Kyrie Irving. and You know, he's... He had some injury problems prior to LeBron getting there in Cleveland. I think a lot of people forgot about that, even going back to Duke where he only played nine games. And I don't think it's any guarantee, like you said, that he's going to be healthy for next season. Plus, who knows? Kyrie Irving, I, did you guys hear that whole thing about Kyrie Irving and the Bumblebees and wanting to be traded to Charlotte? He, he might be on Charlotte for all we know. <laughs> oh, you know, you, you don't want to know. He's he, he's got this whole thing with bumblebees and that he can be in touch with bumblebees. And yeah, yeah. Kyrie Irving's a, a really, really strange dude. <laughs> I the cell like clearly to me, it's a two team conference, though, between those two teams. I Philly is an interesting collection of talent, but I don't know that all the fe- pieces fit together yet. Embiid is a guy who you can take advantage of. Ben Simmons, I have to see him actually shoot a jump shot. Yeah, I just, you know, he gets held to one point in a playoff game. If that's your second best player, that's worrisome if you're Philly. I think, like you said, as of right now, it's a two-person conference. The only thing Philly, or I guess not the only thing, but one thing Philly can bang on is those guys are so young that if you get a major jump in development out of one of them, I think, you know, that's a realistic outcome for them. Yeah, certainly. I think Philly should have made a harder push for Kawhi themselves because I think he could have made a big difference for their team. I think the team that loses out most in the conference by this trade is certainly Philadelphia because I think a little bit of wind has been taken out of their sails and, 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 and Simmons' shot is so off. That uh, I'm not, you know, that that jump that you were just talking about, Mike. I'm not sure that it comes this year with uh, from 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 Simmons anyway. Oh no, I don't even I don't even think it's necessarily likely. I just think that that is kind of their route to contention, and it's at least a reasonable one to take. I think those three are kind of at least you told me, you know, those three are the three that I wouldn't be shocked if they won the conference. If if Indiana or someone else like that won the conference. I would be pretty amazed. Yeah, Milwaukee is an outside contender to me. Yeah. Because they have a real coach now. Um, Giannis made the leap last year, and maybe if they put in a real offense that can make better use of guys like Middleton and uh, some of the other pieces on that team, Milwaukee could be pretty good, but also there's fair reasons to doubt them given how much they've struggled in recent years. Yeah, to me, I think you made a good point. They're kind of the wild card of the group where if you told me Milwaukee was a seven seed, it wouldn't shock me. If you told me that they were one of the surprise teams and were, had 53 wins, it wouldn't shock me either. I think coaching is just such a huge part for them, and I think Bud will really give the team an identity that they never had in the previous seasons, particularly under Kidd. Yeah, def- yeah definitely. I, I, you know, 
since we're just kind of talking about the Eastern Conference as well, I'm very interested to see where Detroit will end up as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they get higher than the fifth seed, but I mean, they could. I could also see them not making the playoffs. Yeah. I don't. Go ahead. The, Drummond and and Blake are both players that I've kind of settled on. I don't really trust either of them. They're <laughs> they're both talented enough players, but they're also both players who just like they don't really seem to ever put it together on the court. And I've always considered Blake Griffin, the big man version of DeMar DeRozan. He's a talented player. Who's great to watch, but can you build a contender around him? I'm just not sure. Yeah. Those are fair points. I kind of just to get us back on track here with the DeMar trade, I guess, leaving obviously the end of him and Casey's kind of, big, you know, era ending in Toronto. Do you guys think that DeMar is the greatest Raptor ever? I have a controversial opinion on this one that's gotten me in a lot of trouble before. Um, my opinion Hold on, is... can I guess it? Can I guess it? <laughs> sure. Kyle Lowry's a better Raptor than DeMar DeRozan. Actually, I don't have Lowry ahead of... Uh, okay. It's not Lowry that I have ahead of him. It's, Vin, it's Vince. But my my argument on DeMar is, can you be a franchise's best player in their history if you weren't ever the best player for a single season? I mean, that's a fair argument to make. Because I don't think DeMar DeRozan was ever the best player on the Raptors for a season. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I actually also tend to tend to agree with uh, with Anthony on this one. I, I, I still have Vince ahead of it, too, and it's because Vince really cemented the legacy, right? I mean, still, the only Christmas game the Raptors have ever had is due to Vince Carter, right? Vince Carter appeared on the cover of video games. Vince Carter, you know, excited people in a way that that the Memphis or sorry, that the Vancouver Grizzlies didn't have. And that's why the Vancouver Grizzlies are no longer there, or at least part of the reason why. And I think, uh, you know, growing up here and just seeing those Vince Carter years were pretty amazing. And that he, he made, he made one or two little mistakes that maybe left in a less clean way than uh, DeMar DeRozan did. But I, I, I mean, Vince really cemented and is the reason why that the Raptors are still in existence. Well, yeah, I think Vince was the first success the franchise ever saw, and DeMar was the first sustained success that the franchise ever saw. So they're obviously meaningful in different ways, but if you're just talking to inject like blood into a franchise, I think it's hard to deny what Vince did. And I, I think with DeMar, we have to separate two things, and, and it's important to separate them because it, they should be different conversations, and one of them is who he was to the franchise off the court. Because, you know, he did so much by stay, keeping on saying, you know, I'm Toronto. I want to be here. I love Toronto. This is my team. This is the team I want to win with. And all of that stuff matters. That's really important for the Raptors franchise. But you also have to separate that from DeMar DeRozan, the basketball player, who was a really good player for the team. But he also kind of defined the ceiling of the Raptors while he was here because when they struggled, it was his flaws that tended to be at the center of the struggles. And so I don't say that to knock him, but I think you have to keep all of that in perspective. And you, you have to separate the off-court DeMar who helped build this culture 
from the on-court player who also was part of the reason they, they needed a trade for a bigger star. Yeah, I think those are all fair points. I think you can talk about someone, what he did as a role model for the franchise, and then also recognize that he had flaws that really limited him in specific ways and really limited the team in specific ways that, I mean, to be frank, kept the, the Raptors from ever making the finals. I think that you can blame it on LeBron all you want. At some level, you have to kind of look at your team and look at the problems that they had. And and I really don't want to just, you know, be sitting here being negative about DeMar, but the fact that the Raptors were always better with him off the court in the playoffs, and in recent years significantly better with him off the court, it it was part of why the trade was made. In that Cavaliers series, they had a plus 17 net rating when he was off the court and a minus 24 net rating when he was on the court. They won the minutes he didn't play, and they got swept. Yeah, I I mean, and that game three performance, I think, is something that, you know, it kind of sucks at such a great career. That's kind of the mark that the kind of taste in your mouth as it leaves. But, you know, all that stuff matters, and that's significant, which obviously... Vince had his own sour taste when he left, which is even worse than DeMars, but, you know, that doesn't change what happened. Yeah. Tamar DeRozan was a fantastic off-the-court presence and has done so much for Toronto, and I think that, you know, that the, the, vib- the vibrations of his commitment to Toronto have actually helped out the franchise quite a bit. It's, again, as you guys have been talking about, that on-court performance just always was not there and and was not going to bring us to the next level and uh yeah it's it, it, it's really tough to see him go but i i mean i hope toronto fans get a taste of Kawhi leonard at full strength in a raptor uniform that uh the 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 sadness or the sourness that some people feel will uh will go away uh, one last thing guys kind of to wrap us up here what do you think i guess is the final chance of DeMar DeRozan, or not DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard remaining a Raptor past this season? Uh, Anthony, we'll start with you. I probably would have put it as, like, 40% him staying, and I, I think that's where I'm at right now. I, there's a lot of reports out there that he still just wants to go to L.A., but there's also some things that are starting to come out. That San Diego P, uh, Tribune piece today that talked about somebody close to him saying they think he's going to fall in love with the city. And then, you know, Masai's really good at this. And a lot of players come to Toronto and they just love the city. And the other part of it is I'm not sold that LA is going to look that attractive come next summer. So I, I'd say there's about a 40% chance of him staying. And if he stays healthy enough and the Raptors start moving towards 60 wins, that goes up north of 50%. Yeah, I, I actually tend to agree. I have a, uh, I knew you were going to ask the question, Mike. I, I wrote, I had myself down here at 30%, but I could really see that ticking up. Um, you know, the Lakers are in an interesting position because they're, they have LeBron, yes, but not much around him and are in a much tougher conference. So where do they end up and how attractive do they really look? And, uh, you know, it, it's really all on Masai's back um, and maybe a little bit of Drake's back too. let's put him in there as well. Uh, you know, you, you know, can uh, can they create an environment that Kawhi will love? Right. Because 
I think I I think Kawhi just wants to be you know comfortable and 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 you know there's a lot of things that Toronto can offer. It's such a it's such a bigger city quote unquote and market than than San Antonio. I just think he needs to have his eyes open to it, and uh, you know he can be sold for an entire year on look Kawhi, you are the best player in this conference. We can, we can dominate year after year with you here. And, uh, and, and, you know, we have an easier road to another finals and, uh, you know, there's lots of reports out there that Kawhi doesn't like the cold, but he's all about basketball. So if he's all about basketball, then hopefully he'll get over the cold and, uh, maybe some sponsorship. But, um, I, I, I would say right now, 30%, but, uh, I'm hoping, uh, that as he starts to get sold over the city, that it goes it goes north of sixty per, or fifty percent as well. I guess call me the pessimist. I I'm a little bit lower than you guys. I'm more in the kind of fifteen to twenty percent range. But to be frank, I was even lower when the first trade first was made. So I'm growing every day, and perhaps maybe in the wrong direction. But you know, chances increasing every day, and more and more reports come out positively. So you never know. Yeah. He was smiling in that picture with uh, uh, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri as well. So there's the, there's another positive. I, I think that's a good note to end it. Guys, thank you for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure just, just one other point I want to make on that last bit, though, about him staying is from the moment he got to San Antonio and became a big player, he was they started marketing him right away as the next Tim Duncan, the guy who would follow in the mold of Tim and the Admiral. And he had 30 years of this San Antonio history weighing on him from pretty much the second year he was there. And I think that's a weight that we don't recognize that players carry sometimes. He's going to get to Toronto. And by the time we get to Christmas, he might be in the conversation where people are saying, is he the best player ever to wear a Raptors jersey? He writes his legacy here. And I actually think that might end up helping make the sales pitch a lot, too. Okay, that's an even more positive note to end it on.